0: Welcome to the Midas Touch Network's Legal AF, and we are here on Indictment Watch. It doesn't seem like it's if anymore. It seems like when will Donald Trump be criminally indicted by the Manhattan District Attorney? Will it be early next week? What are the ramifications what can we expect? We have Karen Friedman Agnifilo joining us on the weekend edition today. Um, Karen Friedman Agnifilo was the top deputy, the number two deputy in all of the Manhattan District Attorney's office, basically ran the office with Cy Vance. And so her perspective as a DA, as someone who ran that office is invaluable. Karen's been doing incredible commentary on all the major networks as well. And we are excited to have her here today to give you her perspective here with the Midas Mighty. We got to give you updates with special counsel Jack Smith because things are heating up there as well. There's been additional proceedings taking place before the criminal grand jury there. There's been dozens of more subpoenas that have been issued there. We will break all of that down here on this episode. We also have additional information for some of the grand jurors as part of the special grand jury in Fulton County who have spoken out on background to the Atlanta Journal Constitution. So they haven't given their names yet, but we have learned uh, additional information about the proceedings that have taken place there. So um, as one of the grand jurors said, things are going to be massive once they are released. So more bad news for Donald Trump there. And then finally, we've also learned that the Department of Justice is also engaged in another investigation of Donald Trump. Now, this involving Trump media and potential money laundering through an island of Dominica and a bank called the Paxim Bank from an oligarch directly linked to Vladimir Putin. And so a lot to discuss here. Michael Popak, Karen friedman Agnifilo, the gang is all here. You have three of your hosts joining you on the weekend edition, and I couldn't imagine it any other way on this historic weekend. Good to see you. It's great to see you, Karen Michael Popak. How are you? You're rocking the what glasses for the audio listeners, just so you can describe um, your glasses.
1: I'm in a very somber shade of black because of the impending indictment coming this week of Donald Trump. It's my celebratory colors, Karen Friedman ignifolo I am so proud to have you as a partner with Ben on this show and at this historic moment. I watched you with um, with both pride and. Um, c- celebration when you were on MSNBC last night. I think we have a clip of it. We'll show later, but I can't think of anybody better in America right now to give the inside scoop of what's going on with Donald Trump, the process, the looming indictment and arrest than than you. And I'm glad you're here with us this weekend.
0: Before Karen, let's just show that clip right now of Karen Friedman Ignifla.
1: Until late last year, when his office appears to have decided to push ahead with the Daniels investigation. That brings us to our current moment, potentially just days away from an indictment of Donald Trump. Karen Friedman-Enigfilo served as chief assistant district attorney under former Manhattan DA Sy si She's a co-host of the Legal AF podcast, and she joins me now. Good to have you here.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: I guess first, let's just do some of the blocking and tackling of how this goes down. If the president, ex-president, were to be indicted, when would that happen, how it would be announced, and then what would happen next?
2: It By all accounts, I think it's going to happen next week. Earlier in the week, we predicted that it would be next week, just given the fact that uh, Trump was given notice to testify in the grand jury. And that's one of the last things you would do. The grand jury seems to be uh, meeting Mondays, Wednesdays, and possibly one other day during the week. And so there didn't seem to be any other witnesses after Michael Cohen. So I think they're probably going to uh, vote the case Monday or Wednesday of next week.
0: And Karen, just for our listeners and viewers out there who haven't yet watched Legal AF or maybe some of our viewers who have watched or listened to Legal AF who just don't know what it means to be the number two deputy, you know, DA there and work in the office. Can you just briefly before going into what happened, just describe again your career and your background at the office?
2: Sure. So the Manhattan DA uh, is elected and he's the highest law enforcement, or he or she, someday she, the highest law enforcement uh, officer in Manhattan. And then everyone else is an assistant district attorney. And there's about 500 of them at the Manhattan DA's office and about another 800 support staff. So I was the the number two. So I was the chief assistant. I when he was out of town or out of the jurisdiction, I was actually the acting district attorney a couple a bunch of times, which is super fun. And you know, I ran the office and I was his Right-hand person, and you know, I, I started there in in 1992, right out of law school, and I, you know, pretty much worked my way up to the very top. Uh, I did leave briefly in the middle for a little while, but pretty much that's what that's what I did. And I used to be a trial lawyer, uh, a trial lawyer prosecutor for a long time, and I did homicides and sexual assaults and, and all that kind of stuff. And then I took the supervisorial route and and ended up being the number two for you know the for the better part of a decade and it was an incredible opportunity and an incredible honor to to serve the people of the state of New York and Manhattan and you know we we when we were involved and supervised all of the biggest consequential uh, prosecutions, you know that everyone's heard of. You know we we um, there were a lot we're really proud of. You know that that we did, and you know I got to I got to sit in the front row and and have a an, a bird's eye view of of everything that was going on. It was great.
0: And so while the large media networks have now you know brought you on, as it appears that indictments are imminent, that it's not if it's when. You know, you've been co-hosting now the Legal AF podcast for some time and which is why, you know, one of the things that's so important to you and to Michael Popak and myself is presenting the data objectively, providing the facts over time and just trying to give the full story. You know, there was all of these narratives about Alvin Bragg out there. And frankly, it was a very unpopular opinion we were expressing here when we thought that uh, the first criminal indictments of Donald Trump were going to happen out of the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. I can tell you some of the types of comments that we had. You invited Alvin Bragg on as a guest and interviewed him on the show. And so it actually isn't that surprising and shocking, I think, to longtime Legal AF listeners and viewers that this is now happening, because you could just follow the data and watch the show and we presented it. But to a lot of people, they are shocked by this code. So maybe, Karen, can you talk about how it is that we got here first? And then what you, what do you think is going to happen over the next uh, this next week?
2: Yeah. So so look, as a prosecutor, you are trained to f- follow the evidence and look at the facts and Politics doesn't play any role in in kind of what you do. And so if I'm saying something on Legal AF, it's because I'm following the facts. It's not because I'm trying to uh, be political, you know. I, and so, so for me, the facts that I've been able to glean out of what's been coming out of the DA's office and through others, right, Michael Cohen, through Trump, through others who... And, and lots of reporting that's going on. I've been able to glean what's happening uh, because there are certain things that are done in certain ways, and so so you can you can look at what's happening. And so, just by way of background, prosecutors don't typically talk about pending investigations, right? You you just you're supposed to. Do all your talking in the courtroom, and or in your motion practice, you know, in your paperwork. Um, and so, you know, so you don't really get a lot of information about what's happening, and a lot is done in secret, which causes people to speculate. And so, in the, in the beginning, when uh, when Sy Vance was no longer DA and handed over a, a an investigation into Trump over to Alvin Bragg, who was newly elected now a year and a half half ago, there was a, a, a lot of public frustration when two senior prosecutors resigned very dramatically and very publicly over their disagreement with Alvin Bragg because a case wasn't being brought uh, that they thought should be brought. And one of those prosecutors has, has since gone on to you know, write a book talking about his judgment and why he thought the case should have been brought. But you know, Alvin Bragg said he felt it wasn't ready. He wanted more evidence. But he also said very clearly that the case is still pending, and it's the investigation is t- still pending, and as a prosecutor, you know he has. Honor and integrity. He would not have said that. He would have just said stayed silent, right? He would not have affirmatively gone out and said the case is still pending and the investigation, I should say, is still pending if it wasn't. And, you know, frankly, if if it wasn't, you would also hear chatter from inside the office that would eventually come out that Alvin Bragg isn't telling the truth. You know, because obviously there are line prosecutors who are doing the actual investigation, but you didn't hear that. All you heard was the the, the naysayers on the sidelines, who just didn't believe him and didn't believe that th- there were investigations still pending, and you know he turned his he said, "Look, guys, I don't, I, which, I want more evidence on that particular case. I want you to." To do more build more and so that's what that team has been doing in addition to that they had a pending indictment against the trump organization and he said okay that's going to go to trial let's focus on that and let's see if we can get a conviction on that which he did he got a 17 count conviction in addition to that there's been this investigation into the stormy daniels matter which is the one that's happening now that has also been pending in the in the um, the investigation in the Manhattan DA's office. Now, if you you remember what I said a couple minutes ago, there's 500 lawyers there, and there's about 100 of them in the investigation division, which is the white collar prosecutors who look at all of these matters. So you can have different teams working on each of these cases. And sometimes it overlaps with a few people, but you have different investigators, different prosecutors, and they're all working on these cases. Now, the Stormy Daniels uh, Hush Money payment uh, matter at a certain point, you either had to go or no go. Now, Cy Vance didn't do the case because Donald Trump was president at the time uh, that, he, that that case was being investigated and, and no prosecutor's going to indict a sitting president, right, uh, for, for crimes, you're gonna wait. And so, you know, again, that matter was handed over to Alvin Bragg, who continued the investigation and the statute of limitations is about to run on that case in, I believe, May. And so the, the DA had to make a decision on that case one way or another. And a lot of people are, are criticizing him for bringing, why this case? You know, this, this case is fraught with peril. It's not, A, it's not that important. It's you know a low-level crime, and you know, and Michael Cohen needs to be corroborated because he, you know, defense attorneys are going to cross-examine him in a way that is going to make it tricky to get a conviction on his word alone. You know, it's it's all about the fact that he, you know, has a, a criminal conviction for lying to Congress. He has a couple other criminal convictions, one associated with with this exact payment, a federal election uh, conviction as well as, you know, the fact that he has made many, many, many statements about this. You know, a a good defense attorney is going to try and show inconsistencies in those statements and and use them against him. But you know what? Michael Cohen is who he is, and he provides color about what's going on with Donald Trump. Michael Cohen, if I, you know, again, if I'm the prosecutor, is going to be able to show, yeah, he lied for the president or the former president, I should say, Donald Trump, because that's what Donald Trump has people do for him. In some ways, it makes the case strong stronger because it shows that's, you know, Michael Cohen last night on MSNBC, uh, right before me, went on the Chris Hayes show. And one of the things he said was, to all the lawyers, um, to all the lawyers who are representing Trump, he said, "I wrote the playbook. Okay, I know what you're going to do because I wrote that book. That's gold for prosecutors. Because look, if Donald Trump surrounded himself with, you know, the people who with with a bus a bus full of nuns, you know, is what we always say as prosecutors. You wish that was your your witnesses. But no, he's going to surround himself with people who." lie cheat and steal on his behalf that is exactly who donald trump is and so michael cohen is going to be a fantastic witness in that regard because he's going to show the world exactly who donald trump is because he did it for trump he didn't do it for himself but at the same time you do need to corroborate everything he says which it seems that alvin bragg has been able to do that which is why they are now in the grand jury and they are now presenting the case so getting to where we are today Today, we are, we said last, I think it was last weekend, uh, Legal AF, when uh, Trump said that he was invited he, to come to the grand jury and, and testify. You know, what we said was he was on the, the the one yard line. They were on the one yard line, they're about to go in. And, and I think we said, you know, the indictment's gonna come either this week, meaning the week we just finished, or next we were within two weeks and that's exactly where we are because you you could tell based on what was happening and then michael cohen testified last night on both last last week i should say on both monday and wednesday what that tells me is that the grand jury so these special grand juries when when prosecutors call for them they usually sit for a period of time like 6 months and they usually sit either mornings or afternoons and they sit sometimes one day a week sometimes three days a week and the fact that Michael Cohen testified last week Monday and Wednesday this tells me this is at least a Monday Wednesday grand jury if not a Monday Wednesday Thursday or Monday Wednesday Friday grand jury although we didn't see any activity last week on Thursday or Friday and and the reason we didn't see any activity is because you know these these large news organizations like the New York Times they stake out the DA's office they know the drill too they know that they can see people going into the grand jury and then they'll they'll surmise, you know, that that that's what's happening. And we didn't hear any reporting of that. So so that's where you are with um, how we knew it's going to be voted. Now, the grand jury, because this is a grand jury where there hasn't been an arrest, any indictment will be sealed until he appears in court until Trump appears in court. So we're not going to officially hear about it from the DA's office uh, because he because Alvin Bragg cannot tell us about it. So there's a slight possibility that he's all, that they've already indicted the case and he's already, the, the case has been voted. But I don't think so, because I think we would have heard about it. I think there would have, you know, maybe a grand juror would tell one person who would tell somebody else that, guess what I did today, even though they're not supposed to. You could just imagine in a case this high profile, that something like that gets leaked or that frankly, Trump would have leaked it, right? So. So I think that it probably hasn't happened yet. And my suspicion, and I, we read in the New York Times this morning is that there's one more witness that needs to go in. It could be a ministerial witness or a small witness. And so I would expect that that would happen on Monday. And there's no reason why they wouldn't vote the case on Monday and uh, and then perhaps have him appear as soon as possible and so that's why he tweeted out this morning you know we all woke up to a tweet this morning uh from not a tweet sorry a post on his truth social which i don't follow by the way i had to have my daughter send it to me because i refuse to give truth social yet another follower Um, but it says you know our our nation is dying you know the american dream is dead you well, know, well, well, well. blah, 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 exactly. But he he goes on to say in the second post, um, you know, now illegal leaks from a corrupt and highly political Manhattan DA's office, which has allowed me to, you know, which has allowed new records to be set, you know, et cetera. He basically says that, you know that he's going to be arrested tuesday and then he calls for a protest to take our nation back which you know honestly give me a pit in my stomach because if that doesn't sound like a call for another insurrection like january 6 i don't know what does um so you know he he said tuesday arrest so that again leads me to believe this is gonna be voted, he's gonna be indicted on Monday, yep. and he's gonna surrender on mm-hmm. Tuesday. And you know what's happening behind the scenes right now, the NYPD is, is meeting with all sorts of law enforcement, the court officers, the FBI, the JTTF, everybody to plan for mass protests. And if anyone thinks the NYPD cannot handle this, I will tell you, we have had, so many mass protests that happen you know immediately not ones that you have to you have this much time to plan for like the George Floyd protests occupy wall street black lives matter some are peaceful some are non-peaceful some have had looting and riots and the the one thing you know the NYPD can handle times square on new year's eve They can handle this. They've had planning and coordination. They know what they're doing. They will have security preparations and Secret Service will be involved. And so Donald Trump can try and call for his supporters to do violence, which is what he's trying to do and and take over New York City, but it's not going to work. The NYPD can do this and they can handle it. But that is where, where we are today. And that is what is happening.
0: Thank you for that explanation, Karen. And what Donald Trump posted, he just wrote, the former president of the United States of America will be arrested on Tuesday of next week. Protest, take our nation back is what he wrote. And so Popak, definitely want to get your take on this as well.
1: Yeah. So listen, I think there's a couple of things here. I agree with, uh, of course, I agree with uh, Karen's timeline. I think the I don't think the one more witness on Monday, which has been reported, is Stormy Daniels. Even though Stormy Daniels has gone in and talked to the Manhattan DA's office, they don't need her. I don't. They don't need her to uh, vote out that indictment. And I don't. I think that's uh, it's unnecessary at this time. So I agree with Karen. They may have to run a records custodian in or somebody else in. I don't think it's Alan Weiselberg out of Rikers Island. I think they probably could get the indictment right now, but they're they're dotting their I's and crossing their T's, which makes it Tuesday. However, I would think now that the um, law enforcement in coordination with the Secret Service, because let's walk through how this would happen, how this has to happen. Because some people might be saying, oh, maybe he gets a special break because he's the former president, first time in history to be indicted procedurally. Maybe he gets a, a different break. He does not. He has to go through this, the exact same process of surrender, Either self-surrender or they go pick him up. Let's hold a pin on that for a minute because I'm going to question whether he has forfeited his right to self-surrender. We'll talk about that in a moment. But he has to surrender to law enforcement. He has to be booked. He has to have a mugshot taken, fingerprints taken, put into the system and arraigned in front of a judge. Just like any other common criminal. Um, not named Donald Trump. Okay, there's no there's no uh, favor that is given to him because of his former status. So all of that all that happens and all that happens in New York, not in Mar-a-Lago, not in Florida, not in Palm Beach County, not in Miami-Dade County, but in Manhattan, where he will be arraigned as a criminal defendant in a criminal case against him prosecuted by Karen's old office. That's it. So how do you coordinate that? Well, He currently, people forget this, he currently has Secret Service protection, all former presidents do, regardless of of what they did to this country. And the Secret Service will then coordinate with um, the uh, law enforcement on the other side, right? The, the police on the other side, to if they're gonna still allow self-surrender, to self-surrender coordinated with the Secret Service who have the protection of that ex-president as part of their remit and mandate. So there's that coordination that has to happen. Now, right now, it is a self-surrender situation. However, I imagine now that law enforcement and the prosecutor's office is looking very closely at what Donald Trump has now truth socialed out Which is eerily similar to the exact same thing he said about that led to Jan 6th, which is, it's be there, gonna be wild protests. It's similar. Ali Adams, um, who's, uh, you know, uh, formerly uh, insurrectionist and election denier. Uh, or, or Ali Alexander, he said, oh, I'm no longer in the business, I guess they're no longer in the business of being a, of being an insurrectionist, but uh, I've always said we should have 10,000 patriots shutting down all routes to Mar-a-Lago. And he says, now I'm retired, I'll pray for him though. I mean, this is what those around that are unhinged around Donald Trump are going to be continuing to do, beating that drum from now until Tuesday. I guess they think, well, Mar-a-Lago he'll he'll stop him from being, because I guess he's down there right now, stop him from being brought. Trust me, law enforcement working with Secret Service is going to get Donald Trump out of Mar-a-Lago if they have to pull it from his 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 uh cold dead fingers and get him to New York. And all of these people that would respond to this, and we know there are people who have their own Moral, moral deficiencies and value deficiencies. Who are going to take up this clarion call, just like the Jan. 6 insurrectionists, and and just like two thousand or three thousand of them are all going to be looking at jail time, or have looked, or are now in jail. These people are too. So let me warn, as Karen is speaking to people about how, don't worry, New York, we got this. We're New York strong. We know how to handle riots and insurrections better than the Capitol police. Um, ever did. And with a president in Joe Biden, not Donald Trump, um, in the waning days handling the defense of this situation, the security situation. Now my question to Karen and to Ben, knowing that this is the process that could likely happen on Tuesday, so likely that Donald Trump has already tweeted Now the reporting is he doesn't have inside information. It's not because Donald Trump was told by Alvin Bragg or his office through his counsel to expect a self-surrender on Tuesday. It's because they are reading the same leaves and tea leaves that Karen is reading about the Monday, Wednesday indictment um, that is likely and think it's Monday, meaning a Tuesday self-surrender. But why? Why now, now watching this ex-president push those same buttons to cause and foment an insurrection now either in Florida and or in Manhattan why Karen and Ben should we allow that type of self surrender why not pick him up on Monday night either arrest him or pick him up on Monday not as planned but don't give him I think he's forfeited the right to do this in an orderly manner by the way that he's he's uh, he's abusing his uh, his bully pulpit of social media what do you guys think
0: I'd love to get Karen's perspective there because Karen, you've had to coordinate the logistics involving very high profile cases and you've dealt with situations out of the Manhattan district attorney's office involving very violent criminals, mafia, et cetera. So perhaps you can explain like what these considerations are from an inside perspective.
2: Yeah. So there is a couple of things that make this unusual and why you kind of have to uh, give him a chance to self-surrender. Number one is the fact that he's guarded by Secret Service and law enforcement 24-7, right? So, you, so you'd so you have to coordinate that with the Secret Service. You can't do the surprise arrest that you would do with other people who you think are going to foment violence or, um, you know, be whether it's you know hide evidence you know there are reasons why you give someone a chance to surrender and reasons why you don't and and the reason you don't give someone a chance to s- surrender is a you think they're going to flee right if they get noticed they'll flee the jurisdiction or b they could potentially um, they could potentially Uh, destroy evidence and you don't want that to happen. And so that's when you, you go and you surprise arrest someone with an arrest warrant. No, either way, there's going to be an arrest warrant, whether you do it, whether you allow someone to surrender or you, um, or you, you do it, you know, surprise like that. So, but in this particular instance, it's logistically kind of tricky because of the fact that he is guarded by secret service 24 seven. So it, that, that actually could be dangerous for law enforcement uh, to go in in a way that isn't coordinated, given the fact that his secret service Agents are all armed and are there to protect him. Um, The other reason why it's logistically difficult to to do it like that is he's in Florida and New York law enforcement do not have jurisdiction to arrest someone in Florida. You either have to coordinate with Florida law enforcement and they would have to do it and then he'd be brought before a judge or in Florida before he could be brought here. And a judge would order it, or you'd have to um, you'd have to coordinate with the governors. Uh, Kathy Hochul and Ron DeSantis would have to coordinate, and it's just so interesting why Ron DeSantis isn't saying, you know what, go take them. You know, like he's clearly making some calculus there about his own uh, presidential, um, you know, his own presidential prospects vis-a-vis this. But but that that's the reason.
0: You see, Popak, that's why I tossed that question to uh, Karen Friedman Agnifilo, And that's why it's important, though, to have experts providing their commentary, because look, as much as I would have wanted to give you my thoughts there and said, yeah, send them in, you know, have the Secret Service arrest them. You know, there's there's the considerations that Karen is talking about right there, because, again, Karen ran that office are exactly the real world considerations that are actually being reflected right now in the office. So there's nothing um, more uh, on point than that. Popak, I know you had another point.
2: Just really quick, one more thing. Law enforcement, all in this regard, all law enforcement, they're gonna do everything they can to de-escalate the situation so that there aren't riots, there isn't violence. I mean, one of the worst things that could happen is if you know, if all his supporters go to Mar-a-Lago and block the ability to get him out of there and turn it into almost like a compound and then law enforcement has to go out and physically pry him out of there. You know, the, the Occupy Mar-a-Lago, you know, kind of what um, Ali Alexander was saying he's not going to do. In some ways, that's a dog whistle to people to go do that, I think. And frankly, that is tricky because there you've got a a law enforcement nightmare, right? What what, what are you going to do if he's, if he's holed up there and he's surrounded by all his supporters you know they'd have who is going to go in there and and pry him out of there you know it's it's like is anyone is florida law enforcement going to do that you know i doubt it i think florida likes him a lot actually so you know i I don't know that that's that's going to happen so that to me is is one of the nightmare situations. So law enforcement is going to do everything they can to de-escalate this, coordinate this, and see if they can persuade him to voluntarily surrender so that this doesn't turn into something way worse than just a, an everyday arrest. I mean, this this is not that big of a deal. This is surrendering on an e-felony white collar crime, something that is done well Almost every day at the Manhattan DA's office.
0: Well, Karen, almost every day that would assume, for example, the on January 6th, the counting of the electoral votes is just something that happens. It's just counting. Exactly. It's ministerial. And here, surrendering, you would think, is just something that happens. It's routine, but already we're seeing... Kevin McCarthy, for example, and the MAGA Republicans go in lockstep. Kevin McCarthy wrote, here we go again. An outrageous abuse of power by a radical DA who lets violent criminals walk as he pursues political vengeance against President Trump. I'm directing relevant committees to immediately investigate if federal funds are being used to subvert our democracy by interfering in elections with politically motivated prosecutions. And Kevin McCarthy is trying to further ignite the fire.
1: Popa. Yeah, let me take it from there. Well, let me wrap up one thing Karen said and to answer questions that I know will be out there. He's going to come out of this. We've talked a lot about process and procedure that's really important and the security that's around that. Um, Rest assured, he will get out of Mar-a-Lago. He will surrender one way or the other to Manhattan authorities in coordination with the Secret Service and all of this other stuff around it which could which could be a riot or a protest will be will be handled one way or the other in the best way possible he will then go in and be arraigned in front of a judge he will then go out the wooden front door that day he is not going to be held pre-trial detention he's going to come back out onto the steps of the courthouse we he is likely to give some sort of speech or commentary we know he's not we're not just going to see him whisked into a black you know, uh, limo or SUV and taken away. We know Donald Trump. If anybody knows Donald Trump, it's Midas Touch Network and Legal AF. He's going to give a courthouse step press conference. I'm sure he's writing it now. So he will come back out and he will, based on this felony, um, you know, he'll bond out or bail out or on his own recognizance be allowed to leave. So I don't want people to think, oh, this is great. He's going in an orange jumper right off of that arraignment. He's not. But he will then be a indicted for a felony defendant in a criminal matter. And then we go into all of the first day orders related to this setting up uh uh, you know motion practice and and what return dates and and when he'll be able to you know address the indictment. And we know he'll try to dismiss the indictment. I'll talk about that next. Um, and then you know in in final sentencing, if he gets convicted, which everyone on this show and in knowing Manhattan juries the way that Karen and I do believe it's going to happen, that jury, Um, is going to be not a jury of his peers. It's not going to be a MAGA jury. It's going to be a jury that gets pulled appropriately from the DMV records of of Manhattan. And, And that is a group that is not favorable to Donald Trump. And they are going to follow the lead and the evidence that's going to be presented on this relatively simple case and setting up these two crimes. The thing that all the lawyers here are really interested in getting to the bottom of is when we see the indictment Is going to be what is the second crime the second crime that ratchets this event up from a hush money false payment recorded in the books and records of the trump organization into a felony is it as we suspected an election or campaign violation like the one michael cohen pled to is it money laundering is it tax evasion what is the second crime because it's clearly this is the the gearing up the geeking up is about a felony not about a misdemeanor we're not going through all of these resources to to pick them up on a, on a misdemeanor it is a felony which means they have broken the code the manhattan da's office on the second crime on let's say on monday in in having the voted out indictment if he's sentenced it's up to four years karen has a speculation i think i saw it on one of the shows about him getting jail time Um. But it is up to a four-year crime if this whole package is is presented. Before we turn to Karen on what she thinks his sentence could look like, there the other thrust of the campaign by by Trump World in in getting ready for the eventuality, the reality of indictment, and this is something that's been haunting Donald Trump for quite some time. There has been reporting that when Alan Weisselberg shuffled into the courtroom. Uh, with uh, handcuffs, you know, with a coat covering handcuffs, um, and and had his own version of a perp walk. It really left Trump shaken. Those around him that reported out said he was white. He was shaken. He couldn't believe it was happening. This is happening, and this is happening to Donald Trump in real time. So what his his uh, Trump world, you know, the Hobbas, the Takapinas, the McCarthy's, you know, in the elected officials, they're now attacking. Just like they attacked the other two black prosecutors involved or, or black officials, they're going after uh, Alvin Bragg because he was backed by George Soros, uh, as other progressive prosecutors were during this wave of elections in 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 twenty uh, in twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one. That he's in Biden's back pocket. Let me let me just explain Alvin Bragg for a moment, because people have a lot of opinions about him, most of them inaccurate. Alvin ran for that job. Alvin was not in the Manhattan DA's office like Karen was. Um, he actually ran against a person who's a friend of Karen of and the show, who's now the inspector general of the state of New York, who ran for that job who was in the office at the time but he came from, he had been in the office at one time he had been a federal prosecutor so he was known he's a known commodity as a top prosecutor but he wasn't in the office at the time he ran and the people of the city of New York or Manhattan elected him the borough of Manhattan New York elected him because he campaigned on a, so he's not in anybody's back pocket. He's not Joe Biden, the Department of Justice handpicked prosecutor. He's the people of the of the of New York's handpicked prosecutor for right or for wrong. And so that's how he got that job. He didn't get it through any other nepotism. He earned that job, and he and he got voted into that job. And 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 so that's something I think is very very important as they continue to try to attack him as being some sort of racist just like the Fawny Willis attack, just like the Letitia James attack, because they're black. So suddenly now, not understanding how racism works, they're racist because they're going after Donald Trump because he's white, apparently. No, they're going after him because he committed crimes. And that's what you're supposed to do as a prosecutor or the New York attorney general, Uh, that he's woke. You know, this is that new favorite attack, whatever that means. They don't even know what that means, but that he's uh, some sort of progressive democratic prosecutor well you know what he's in a city that voted him in on a platform that he ran on to be exactly who alvin bragg is and he didn't pick this crime he didn't pick these witnesses they picked him and to karen's point on michael cohen michael cohen is not a is not a problem for alvin bragg because all you have to say in your opening to the to the jury is we didn't pick the witnesses in this case Donald Trump picked the witnesses in this case. Michael Cohen is a witness who, with facts and knowledge about what happened because Donald Trump hired him to be his inside guy, his consigliere, and to do his bidding. We didn't pick it. They did. And that's it. You're done. The jury goes, nods their heads and say, okay, we understand. Now let's hear from Michael Cohen. (laughs) So that's where we are with the combination Trump world attack and what's going to be the last and final steps in both the arraignment and hopefully the future conviction and sentencing of Donald Trump,
0: Karen?
2: Yeah. So two things, just to pick up what you were, what you were saying with about Alvin Bragg. By the way, when he ran for office, he ran against somebody else who uh, paid many, many, many millions of dollars uh, towards their own campaign, and he still beat that person. So to and so I, I you know you're you're a hundred percent right that the people of of Manhattan elected him based on his policies and on him and who he is. Um, And also if this was political, right? If this was just something political, he could have brought that other case Two months into into office, you know the the val- the asset valuation case, uh, the one where you know the book came out and the prosecutors resigned. That case, if you listen to the pro- one of the prosecutors who wrote a book, a Mark Pomerantz, he said that case was ready to go. Again, if this was political, he would have just done that case, but he doesn't. He's looking at the facts and, and bringing the crimes. But one one more thing, I want to just talk about the indictment. Um, First of all, I think there's going to be at least 11 counts in the indictment, one for each of the um, entries in the business records. And I think there were 11 payments over time. And I think each one will be its own falsifying a business record entry. So I think you're going to see many charges here. You also might have several... Uh, charges for different theories depending on the crime they um, will say he alleged to have tried to conceal or cover up. But I also have one more legal theory that I, I want to throw out there that I want people to think about, which is there's a lot of are of speculation about which crime they're using to bump this up to a felony. And I went back and I reread the statute and it says that with the intent to defraud, your intent is to conceal or cover up another crime so it's about your intent it's not about committing the crime it's about your intent to cover up or conceal a crime so i am going to point you know this is a white collar case so this is very much being analyzed by white collar lawyers well i'm not a white collar lawyer so i'm i'm trying to learn to be one but i grew up in the violent crime world that's what that's what i did my entire career you know murders um sexual assaults, burglaries, et cetera. So I want everyone to think about burglary, the crime of burglary, which is trespass, right? You enter and remain somewhere unlawfully and trespassing only gets bumped up to a burglary if you intend to commit a crime therein prosecutors don't have to prove which crime you intended, right? We don't know, was this going to be a sexual assault? Was this going to be, you know, stealing property? Was this going to be, you know, some other crime inside there? You just have to prove that he went in not to go to sleep, right? He didn't just trespass. He went in to commit a crime with the intent to commit a crime therein. And I would argue that falsifying a business record in the first degree, which is the intent to cover up or conceal a crime, that that you don't even necessarily have to prove which one it is beyond a reasonable doubt, just that he was intending to cover up a crime. And I think the fact that he structured the payments and didn't just give it, you know, all in one check and all the other evidence, I think, shows that this was intended to cover up a crime. So I think I don't think it's as difficult legally as others, but it is untested. But I think that's one of the theories that is going to get this across the finish line. No problem.
0: And one of the things I want to show right now, I want to pull up this post by uh, Adam Kinzinger, who's addressing the fact that throughout the entire morning, Uh, And throughout the day, rather, there's been threat after threat after threat by Republicans, by sitting members of Congress, by leaders in the Republican Party, by Republican influencers, um, threat after threat after threat designed to heighten the risks that we talked about earlier. So it says uh, the threats this morning from the GOP to interfere in the arrest or to investigate are sickening. This is not the law and order party. But as you hear their threats, remember, they literally have no power to interfere or do anything. People like Marjorie Taylor Greene are all bark no bite. And finally, I'll show you this post just to remind you the infamous post by Lindsey Graham. Let's pull this up right now. And Lindsey Graham said uh, famously before uh, the Republican Party nominated Trump and before all of the MAGA Republicans sold their souls to become a cult, to get rid of the Republican Party and turn it into whatever it is today, a Donald Trump cult. Lindsey Graham wrote, if we nominate Trump, we will get destroyed and we will deserve it. Lindsey Graham now a staunch public supporter of Donald Trump. At the same time, Lindsey Graham testified before the special grand jury Uh, in uh, Fulton County, where we learned that he said that essentially Donald Trump would have believed that aliens changed the votes in the 2020 elections. We're going to talk about more that we've learned about the Fulton County proceeding this past week. We're going to talk more about Special Counsel Jack Smith's criminal investigation into Donald Trump. We will get there right after these brief messages.
3: And now let's take a quick break to talk about our next partner, Miracle Maid. Did you know that your temperature at night can have one of the greatest impacts on your sleep quality? If you wake up too hot or too cold, I highly recommend that you check out Miracle Maid's bed sheets. Inspired by silver infused fabrics made by NASA, Miracle Maid makes temperature regulating bedding so you can sleep at the perfect temperature all night long. Using silver-infused fabrics originally developed by NASA, Miracle-Made sheets are thermoregulating and designed to keep you at the perfect temperature all night long so you get a better sleep every night. These sheets are infused with natural silver that prevent 99.9% of bacterial growth, leaving them to stay cleaner and fresh three times longer than other sheets. No more gross odors. Miracle sheets are luxuriously comfortable without the high price tag of other luxury brands. Stop sleeping on bacteria. Clean sheets means less bacteria to clog your pores and fewer breakouts and other skin problems. Go to trymiracle.com/slash legalaf to try it today. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Save over 40% off and be sure to use our promo code LEGALAF at checkout to save even more and get three free towels. And Miracle is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you aren't 100% satisfied, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com/legalaf and use the code legalaf to claim your free 3-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com/legalaf to treat yourself. Thank you Miracle Maid, for sponsoring this. And now let's take a quick break to talk about our next partner, Lomi. Now I've never been able to compost before. It was always too complicated, too much work, and frankly, I don't think I even knew exactly if I was doing it right. Then I got a Lomi. Lomi allows me to turn my food scraps into dirt with just the push of a button. Lomi is a countertop electric composter that turns scraps to dirt in under four hours. There's no smell when it runs and it's really quiet. Thanks to Lomi, I have way less garbage each week. My family, we're down from three bags per week to just one. And here's something pretty cool. My wife, she recently started gardening, and we've been able to use the dirt that Lomi produces to help fill the garden. And since I got my Lomi, I throw out way less garbage. That means it's not going to landfills and producing methane. Instead, I turn my waste into nutrient-rich dirt that I can feed to my plants. I feel so great knowing that I'm composting and creating soil instead of waste. And I have basically a limitless supply of dirt for my garden. The other week I had my in-laws over for dinner and the food cleanup process was such a breeze. Plus, they all think I'm super eco-conscious now. If you want to start making a positive environmental impact or just make cleanup after dinner that much easier, Lomi is perfect for you. Head to Lomi.com slash Legal AF and use the promo code legalaf AF to get $50 off your Lomi. That's $50 off when you head to L-O-M-I dot com slash legalaf and use promo code legalaf at checkout. Food waste is gross. Let Lomi save you a cold trip out to the garbage can. And now, back to the video.
0: Welcome back to the Legal AF podcast. I want to go and talk about the updates that we've learned about from Special Counsel Jack Smith in terms of everything from uh, – filing motions to compel and getting a successful ruling on the motion to compel under the crime fraud exception of Uh, At least one of Donald Trump's lawyers, Evan Corcoran, in connection with Donald Trump's theft of thousands of government records that he stole and kept in Mar-a-Lago, which were found during the August 8th search warrant that was validly and lawfully executed uh, on Mar-a-Lago. I want to talk about the dozens of other subpoenas uh, that have been issued as special counsel Jack Smith's investigation heats up, and these dozens of other subpoenas were uh, re- relate to other people who worked at Mar-a-Lago, staffers and aides, and uh, you know, dozens of people who have any knowledge whatsoever about Donald Trump moving records. Um, so, Popa, can you break down what's going on in Special Counsel Jack Smith's investigation?
1: Yeah, it's a great, great day, great week for Jack Smith. Um, We have to always keep in mind these, we have three separate wheels of justice or four separate wheels of justice that you and I and Karen are monitoring all at the same time. And they're all moving at different rates and different velocities to get to the same place, which is justice. Letitia James, Attorney General, she's got her civil fraud case against all things Trump. She can do things that prosecutors can't do in terms of putting businesses owned by Donald Trump and people out of business forever um, in the state of New York and take a lot of money off of them in the interim. That you can't do in the criminal justice system. Criminal justice system is as law and order has always portrayed it. It is gates coming down and you're in jail if you are convicted. And then you've got Fawny Willis and her investigations we're going to talk about with some new developments from five more grand jurors who, are, who have spoken to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution about what they heard and, what they, uh, and new information, new evidence that we're just hearing about there. Here, we've got a really great week in the final week of Chief Judge Beryl Howell, who just completed her seven-year term as the chief judge of all things grand jury in the District of Columbia. She's going to be replaced on Monday by the next most senior judge, Judge Jeb Bosberg, who's also a Democratic president appointee by Obama, so we shouldn't have to worry much. But the Department of Justice has done... Hall, as Ben has said on Midas Touch, Hall of Fame baseball numbers in front of Judge Beryl Howell, batting like 900 in getting her to strip away attorney-client privilege, executive privilege, or, or other types of privileges that have been asserted over the objection and the vigorous objection of Donald Trump and his lawyers to have lawyers testify and people close to Donald Trump in the West Wing testify before the various grand juries, right? We know there's three grand juries at least. The Mar-a-Lago document, top secret document stealing grand jury and obstruction grand jury. We've got the Jan 6th and Donald Trump's role in starting and lighting the fuse that led to the, um insurrectionist explosion that rocked our cradle of democracy on jan 6th and then we've got um all of the grift that donald trump did and his false using the fake elections to raise money and things like that and we can always kind of figure out in the chessboard who's going in for which grand jury depending upon what we know their role has been, Evan Corcoran, M. Evan Corcoran, who we used to talk about as being an advocate in courtrooms around America, trying to defend Donald Trump, including having a role in in the Mar-a-Lago um, legal arguments that were raised at the 11th Circuit in Florida, is now likely criminal target himself, Evan Corcoran, having violated the cardinal sin of being a lawyer like the three of us, which is, Never be a fact witness for your client and never be a co-conspirator with your client. And Evan Corcoran went into the grand jury just as Alina Haba has, just as Christina Bob has, just as other people have, including a a, a female attorney out of Georgia, uh, Miss Little has, about Mar-a-Lago. Why? Because Evan Corcoran was the puppet master, or at least the, uh, the close confidant of Donald Trump, and attorney, about how to... Um, manage the Department of Justice's uh, requests, initial requests with the, uh, the presidential records and National Archive to get back all of the documents, top secret and otherwise, that Donald Trump had taken with him. It started as a request. It started as negotiations. It became a subpoena, which meant the other side has to comply with it. And it ended up a search warrant and on august 8th down in mar-a-lago because of evan corcoran and donald trump evan corcoran told the department of justice and its head of the counterintelligence division that while they were having these negotiations over the subpoena issued by beryl howell out of district of columbia that they would keep locked behind closed doors at mar-a-lago Keep the status quo. Not move doc boxes around. Not move documents around while they negotiated. That was a lie. And the Department of Justice, talking to people and doing their investigation, who worked in and around Mar-a-Lago, knew it was a lie because they had gotten they had gotten uh, testimony that, for instance, Walt Nauta, the personal valet for Donald Trump was seen on video, taking boxes in and out of those locked rooms. At the very moment, Evan Corcoran was telling the Department of Justice that everything was status quo and nothing was moving. And the crime fraud exception, which we've talked a lot about on Legal AF, which is the attorney-client relationship and communication is sacrosanct unless there is the the lawyer either wittingly or unwittingly participates because of his advice and the communication in either a crime or fraud. If that happens and a judge determines that that has happened, then the crime fraud um, insulator or shield is pierced and the lawyer has to testify, even if the client doesn't want him to, about those discussions. That doesn't just mean the communications of... Um, Donald Trump talking to Evan Corcoran about Mar-a-Lago and the boxes of documents, that also means records, every lawyer worth his salt, including the three here, will take notes when they're talking to their clients, like the notes we're using for a show like this. Those notes are also privileged, either under the attorney-client privilege or attorney-work product privilege. And the judge apparently evaluated that issue and decided not only did a crime fraud occur involving Evan Corcoran in his communications with Donald Trump, and I'll tell you what I think based on reporting that crime fraud involved, but that his notes may also have to be turned over directly to the Department of Justice. There is reporting. That the judge, in evaluating whether the crime fraud existed, took into her repository what we call an in-camera review, which means the judge alone looked at the documents in her chambers and made a decision based on what notes Evan Corcoran took about his conversations with his clients, whether that indicated a crime fraud and then the reporting is she turned the records directly over to the department of justice rather than making an order that donald trump's lawyers do it meaning they don't have an ability at least on on the face, to go and uh, challenge her order to compel them to turn over documents because she did it directly themselves. If that is the case, and that is the reporting as of this morning, that is a huge win for the Department of Justice because they not only get Evan Corcoran testifying again to the uh, to the grand jury, but they get his notes. The what they focused on with Evan Corcoran is there was a June twenty fourth two months before the execution of the search warrant, there was a June 24th phone call between Donald Trump and Evan Corcoran on the very day the Department of Justice asked for And demanded all of the surveillance video for cameras outside the doors of Mar-a-Lago in the places where they said the documents were stored, because they wanted to see who was going in and out of those rooms, because they had evidence that that Corcoran had lied to them. And there's a phone call on that day. You can imagine that phone call. Oh shit! We've we got to turn over those videos. I've looked at them. You know, Walt Nauta is coming in and out of those rooms at our direction and taking boxes in and out. That could be it, which is now why the Jack Smith has also sent out more than two dozen subpoenas, basically for the entire staff, uh, the housekeepers, the servers, the maintenance people, the groundskeepers. Because they are the invisible people at a hotel. They have the eyes and the ears. They see everything. If Walt Nauta was taking boxes with another witness that's already been identified, helping him move these boxes, at the moment that Evan Corcoran is lying to the face of the Department of Justice, which is a crime about the, do- about the documents being preserved, that's a problem. The fact that Evan Corcoran had Christina Bob, who's already testified to the grand jury, sign a declaration that the entire universe of uh, confidential trade secret, I'm sorry, confidential and top secret documents that Donald Trump had was 38 of them and it was in this sealed envelope and here you go, knowing or should have knowing that there were a hundred more behind the locked door that were not turned over to the Department of Justice. That's a crime because Christina Bob has now lied to the Department of Justice. Evan Corcoran had a one-on-one with the counterintelligence director or division chief for the uh, Department of Justice, and would not allow him to go look at the locked room, but assured him that he had nothing to worry about. It was all being protected. That's a lie. So it's not just Evan Corcoran as witness. It's Evan Corcoran as criminal defendant. Now, look, that means when he goes into the grand jury, he may try to take the Fifth Amendment. So put aside the attorney-client privilege. If he takes the Fifth Amendment, you're going to be right back now in front of Jeb Boesberg, the new chief judge, to argue over whether the Department of Justice should give Evan Corcoran immunity so that he testifies, because then he'll have no ability not to testify on that issue. So between the two dozen subpoenas of everybody that's ever walked the grounds of of Mar-a-Lago and this huge win on the final day of Beryl Howell's uh, tenure as the chief judge, You couldn't ask for a better week for the Department of Justice and their investigations.
0: And speaking of the Department of Justice, Karen, I want to ask you a question in a moment, though, about these Trump lawyers, because as these Republican politicians have basically just lost all dignity, going all in for Donald Trump, becoming the MAGA Republican Party, lost all ethical and moral compass same thing with these lawyers. I want to talk to you in a moment about what's going on there, even with uh, Joe Takapina, uh, Donald Trump's defense lawyer in the Manhattan District Attorney criminal investigation, or at least one of the lawyers there. But but Popak, in addition to what special counsel Jack Smith is doing, we, we've we also learned that the Department of Justice, I believe out of the Southern District of New York, maybe you could just quickly explain this, um, is investigating Trump media criminally for money laundering regarding uh, about $8 million uh, of money that came in from a Caribbean island of Dominica from a family trust that ultimately is linked to a Russian oligarch who was Vladimir Putin's deputy of justice and that that was the money that basically kept trump media afloat and that's in addition to other department of justice criminal investigations. so maybe briefly touch on that because i want to give that full picture of what the doj is doing
1: yeah no problem so uh, people may recall that another grift of donald trump was the creation of a media group that owns his truth social And that was not a public company that was privately owned by Donald Trump, probably 90% or more. And and the sole asset that it housed is this Truth Social platform, which at the time, it hadn't gotten off the ground yet. It had like no people on it. It still doesn't have that many people on it compared to his, his former Twitter following. But that was that. The way to make real money at least two years ago, because now... The world of special purpose acquisition companies or SPACs has really taken a nosedive because the SEC has decided to um, investigate abuse in the SPAC world, meaning that easy money that used to be made by people being acquired by a SPAC, which becomes a public company overnight and gives access to the SPAC sponsor, which is the owner of the SPAC and the entity that's acquired, the business acquired um at a very high amount of money depending upon how much the spac has raised to buy the uh asset the the target company um it could be billions in fact in donald trump's case it could be up to uh, uh, over a billion dollars of people decided to invest in the uh company the spac company that ultimately acquired donald trump's trump world trump media whatever it's called now here's the problem it is a crime and the SEC and the, uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office, Southern District New York, is investigating, it is a crime if the SPAC itself or any of its investors know at the time that they raise their money who they're ultimately gonna buy. It's a weird thing, but this is how it works. You invest in the SPAC at $10 a share if you wanna get in on the ground floor of something. You you trust that the SPAC sponsor, he'll, he'll they'll make vague representations of the kind of companies that they may wanna invest in. Entertainment, sports and gambling, gaming, restaurants, you know, really vague like that. And you go, okay, here's my money. <laughs> and then you sit back and wait for the SPAC to make its acquisition. And if you don't like the acquisition, then you can get your money back. You can really see that you get full redemption. I don't want to. I don't want to be in that business. The problem is you're not supposed to, and it's a it's a crime to coordinate between the target entity and the SPAC, because now you're just beating. Now you're just trying to short circuit going the going public rules for a public company under the SEC, because you always knew you were going to acquire Trump World. There's so much evidence that the SPAC world the spac sponsor coordinated with donald trump before they raised all their money which is a crime now in the meantime the sec steps in and basically stops the completion of this acquisition of the trump entity by the spac so it can't go public which means donald trump can't get the 1.8 billion dollars that's sitting in those bank accounts which of course he needs uh, given all of his cash problems right now that are, that are only growing. But the SEC has stepped in the middle and said, not so fast, and we're investigating you for a crime. So they needed money because they were running a business. They have a burn rate, right, a monthly churn and burn rate that they need to run this truth social thing. And they had a big hole in their bucket, like $8 million. So they needed an investor to come in, prop them up, while they hopefully waited for the SPAC... Uh, acquisition to go forward and Donald Trump would get $1.8 billion. So if you're Donald Trump and you got to come up with fast cash, where do you go? You go to the Russians. So the Russians and Russian investors with, uh, with anonymous and secret uh, trusts, but have all been sort of pierced and investigated by uh, by news agencies, sitting in a very small Caribbean nation that nobody's ever heard of unless you lived like in Miami. And I know a lot of people go to Tobinica from Miami, but has apparently bank secrecy laws that people like to set up trust there. Um, there is a Russian trust owned, we believe, based on reporting by a close associate of Vladimir Putin, who runs a major um, uh, port and maritime company in Russia for Putin, co-owns it with him, if you will, and was also, as you said, his first deputy uh, minister of justice. Um, He's the one through a bank that's tied back to Putin in Dominica, uh, paid $8 million in two different tranches, a 6 million and a 2 million to to Trump world, not to the SPAC, to prop them up because they needed the cash and don jr is on record as acknowledging that the money was coming from this russian family through the russian bank in dominica at the time that they needed it and there were a lot of people there's whistleblowers involved with trump world including one of the founders of the Spac, that that came up and said no 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 we we don't want that money that's dirty money that's radioactive money and don jr gave the green light apparently to take in the money because they needed the cash so 8 million russian tied to Putin through a secret bank in Dominica directly to Donald Trump, which only helps him not only to prop up the asset, but to get his access to the $1.6 billion if they can ever close the SPAC deal.
0: That's a great explanation. And just... (laughs) It, it's wow. That's what the Department of Justice is also investigating in addition to everything special counsel. Jack Smith is Karen. I want to go back to you, though, now and ask about these Trump lawyers, because we know that Evan Corcoran, to say the least, is in a very ethically compromised position. That's probably at best for him. At worst, he's being criminally investigated for obstruction of justice, which is Really, really, really a serious crime where he can potentially serve years and years in prison for what he did for Donald Trump, and you know whether it's Christina Bob who's testified before the criminal grand jury in federal court in Jack Smith's investigation, or Alina Haba, we've just seen Jenna Ellis, uh, Donald Trump's. one of his campaign lawyers from 2020 uh, get publicly censured by the Colorado State Bar where she admitted that she lied about everything and then went on social media and then lied that she didn't lie about everything. And so you have that. And then I don't even get me started on Jeff Clark and Sidney Powell and Giuliani and Frankly, the countless other Trump lawyers—you don't even hear their names—who have been sanctioned huge amounts of money. By the way, Haba was sanctioned basically like a million dollars. But all these other lawyers who you don't even know the names of, who've either been sanctioned or suspended or have serious consequences—you know—and then you move to—we look in New York, for example, like with Joe Takapina, uh, back going back to the Manhattan District Attorney's criminal investigation. You know, I don't know much about Takapina. You know, I don't know about his reputation, and so I don't know if. Wow, did Donald Trump hire someone for the first time who may actually have some game you know, in court. And it's always that Mark Twain quote about like, you better not open your mouth and be thought of as a fool than open your mouth and basically, you know, reveal that you truly are a fuel and, you know, remove all doubt that you actually are a fool. And seeing Takapina both in terms of the media appearances where I think he just further incriminated Donald Trump, basically stipulated to what the underlying crimes were by the Manhattan District Attorney's investigation, undercut Donald Trump's political argument too that it's a witch hunt that would harm him Takapina said it would actually help Donald Trump's campaign but setting that all aside you know these videos surfaced of Takapina for example back in 2018 saying that he was consulted by Stormy Daniels and he was back in this 2018 media appearance that he did. He said, look, I can't talk about my communications with Stormy Daniels because, um, you know, technically under the New York State Bar rules as as exists under the uh, American Bar Association rules, it's the same rule 1.18 uh, as it relates to prospective clients. When there is that uh, consultation, it could constitute uh, the same type of confidentiality protections that exist um, regarding actual clients and former clients with prospective clients, and so I guess at the highest level, Karen, you know, with all with your years of experience leading the district attorney's office in Manhattan, um, just as a member of the bar, kind of globally, what's your reflection on these Trump lawyers generally? But then, you know, maybe focus on Taca pina and what your observations are there.
2: Look, you know, Joe Takapina is um, very well known in New York. He has represented a lot of people. Um, You know, I I actually am scratching my head at how he could possibly represent Trump in this case. the rules are clear, right? The the professional rules of professional conflict, I mean, rules of professional conduct in New York, uh, as well as the American Bar Association rules that you just talked about. It's very clear that you can't first represent a victim of a crime and then represent the defendant in a crime. And because when you meet with a client to potentially represent them like a prospective client, as you said, the attorney client privilege attaches at that point, because you want to be able to have lawyers speak freely with potential clients, you got to know the facts, and you got to speak openly about whether or not you can represent them and how you can represent them. And and it's it's absolutely clear that you can't then, like say you don't get hired, it doesn't matter, that attorney-client privilege attaches and stays with you forever. And you can never not only talk about it, but you cannot then reveal secrets that were told to you by the prospective client, and you certainly can't use that information to try and benefit your future client. I mean, it's it's Rule One Point Nine that talks about this conflict um, with you know with former client in in the same matter matter, and it's crystal clear. I mean think about it otherwise on cross examination he'd be allowed if she testifies and i guess he'll you know one question is will she testify is she is she a witness and will information be used that she told him and you know at the subsequent trial. And I I can't see whether or not she testifies, I can't see uh, any scenario where there wouldn't be information that she told him that wouldn't be used at the trial. And so I really don't understand how he could possibly uh, represent Trump here. There's a a, seems to be a a conflict that is just, you know, crystal clear. So I, I find this one to be a head scratcher. And I'm frankly surprised.
0: And he's already gone on the media and attacked her because he's basically said that Trump is a victim of extortion, thereby accusing the prospective client of extorting his current client when he consulted with her in connection with a potential resolution of of, of the matter with Donald Trump. That that under that is the underlying piece of this, um, Karen. One thing I I do want to kind of clear up, though, for everybody out there going back to the Manhattan district attorney's offices. So because I, I, let me see if, if if I have it right, though. Um, ordinarily, if there isn't this second crime, uh, the, the crime Donald Trump is being uh, charged with for the falsification of business records would normally be a misdemeanor if there wasn't the second crime. Let, let's just go in pieces. So normally it's a misdemeanor. Uh, However, if there is a kind of second crime attached to it, which there is going to be here, it will be charged as a felony. You previously spoke on this episode about what that could possibly be, but at the highest level and in basic terms for our audience and listeners, do I have that part right, that it could be charged as a felony?
2: Yes, absolutely. Yes.
0: And in terms of a felony, from what I've read, and it doesn't mean that if he's convicted, he will serve all of those years in jail time, there's their own sentencing guidelines, but um, the top sentencing here would be around a four year sentence, which would, whether it actually takes place in Rikers or somewhere else, but in theory that there could be up to four years. I, I've read that, is that accurate? And, and I, I understand yeah. their sentencing differences. And so look, is there a possibility that he doesn't serve any time? Yeah, so this is a a
2: crime. Yeah, this is a crime that has no mandatory minimum. And so he could get no time, he could get, you know, community service, he could get um, a fine, he could get probation, uh, he could just get a conditional discharge, you know, which is basically nothing. Um, Or he could get up to four years in prison. Now, he wouldn't serve that at Rikers Island if it was uh, a felon, if it was a sentence of more than a year because Rikers Island is a jail. So he would serve it at a prison. Um, again, logistically, what? So the Secret Service is going to serve the time with him? I mean, I just don't understand how, how that would work. And so I, I frankly don't see that happening. But he could get house arrest, for example, you know, and, and that's something he could get. But I don't I don't see I don't see that happening for mostly logistical reasons. and and you know, it's an e felony. It's a Class E felony which is the lowest, you know it, in New York, you have Class A felonies, which are the highest, and then B, c D and E, which is the lowest. and and although this is falsifying a business record in the first degree, so it's the highest falsifying business record, it's still an e felony, which is the lowest level felony uh, in New York. Can I mention
1: one thing, Ben, before we depart? This is back to the Ben Mysalis um, strategy. We're not saying we're not saying that this is it, that this is a this is a period and not a comma in the prosecutions by the Manhattan DA's office of Donald Trump. This is the one that got the fastest accelerant put on it since January when the grand jury was impaneled. It's the simplest in terms of facts because of the development of the facts already through Michael Cohen and the prosecutors of the federal side, and it's all fallen into place. And and yes, Alvin Bragg has made the decision that this is the first one he wants to go after Donald Trump as Donald Trump, not just the Trump organization, having already gotten his 17 count conviction under his belt from the summer. We're not done. If this one, and I agree with Karen, the way she's analyzed it, of course, that as an e-felony, no mandatory sentence, and uh, being who he is, it's not likely he's going to be in the orange jumpsuit that people want. But we're not done. And we're not done in the other places. Alvin Bragg may not have been ready on his 90th day to prosecute the uh, f- uh, financial crimes that Mark Pomerantz, the special prosecutor, was pushing him. But doesn't mean that, that this is the only indictment and this blocks or bans further investigations and further indictments in front of other juries and grand juries against Donald Trump. This is the beginning. I don't think this is the end necessarily of Alvin Bragg's work as a prosecutor, as he's getting more confident and more robust in his in his abilities to go after Donald Trump.
0: And that's why it's just so important, though, that we report accurately And what's going on and provide the facts because there's so much disinformation even out there or or misinformation about what's going on that you know there are some people who think that on tuesday that an indictment means donald trump goes to jail and wears an orange jumpsuit on tuesday as much as we'd all like to see that happen, that's just not the process. And that's not saying Donald Trump is above the law. That's just, that's not the process with anyone who was charged with that E level felony or anybody charged, you know, with, with in the same or similarly situated circumstance. And that doesn't mean that after Donald Trump is convicted and if, if he is convicted by a jury, that he can serve jail time. So I want to be clear with that, you know, and, and the max is four years. There is a chance that he doesn't. Ultimately, it will be what will Alvin Bragg ask for. I think Alvin Bragg will ask for prison time. I think he will. I think that Donald Trump serving real time at Rikers Island. You see how terrified Donald Trump even is of uh, the fact that Alan Weisselberg is serving, you know, a, a relatively shorter sentence at Rikers that terrifies Donald Trump. But to your point, Popak, this is a case that would be a felony. Where Donald Trump can go to jail, which I believe, and our predictions have been accurate, that the prosecutors will ask for real jail time. It's not gonna be four years. You know, I think it'll be probably closer to one or two. How will that ultimately work? To Karen's point and to Popak's point, where you have a former person who disgraced the presidency, how do you deal with the logistics of that? I think we'll get there when we get there. And then to Popak's broader point, Alvin Bragg has said, he said it publicly, this isn't secret information, and he's been true to his word on what he said. That's why we've been accurately able to predict it, that he is still investigating the other crimes. The other crimes have a civil component that will be going to trial on October 2nd, 2023 by New York Attorney General Letitia James. The outcome of that could completely terminate the Trump organization from doing business in the state of New York for the foreseeable future or potentially even forever. The damages there are at least $250 million and could be in the billions of dollars. And then you can potentially see around that time as it relates to Alvin Bragg or even before that time, another uh, criminal charge against Donald Trump or multiple other criminal charges based on the other crimes. But let's think about what else is going on. We talked about what special counsel Jack Smith is investigating. And we've been talking a lot here about the investigation by Fulton County District Attorney Fani Willis, and we've learned some more information this week because five of the grand jurors in the special grand jury spoke with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and they explained that this is going to be massive once uh, the public gets to read what their criminal recommendations were. Just so you know the process, the special grand jury... In Fulton County does not have the power to indict. They have the power to make recommendations about indictments, which then go before a grand jury, and the grand jury ultimately has the power to indict. It's the special grand jurors who prepared this report. The report largely remains redacted. Only three small portions have been unredacted, the intro, the conclusion, and another paragraph, which doesn't really reveal much. Uh, these five people who spoke out are addition to that Emily Kors, and she had spoken on the the four-person who spoke on the networks. These are five other people. Um, their names remain anonymous. They said this is massive. Um, they praised People who opposed Donald Trump's efforts, like the late Speaker of the House, a Republican uh, late Speaker of the House Ralston. Um, There's this other secret uh, tape that Donald Trump no longer secret, um, but a recording of Donald Trump where Donald Trump tried to threaten the Speaker of the House in Georgia, Republican Speaker of the House to call a special a special session there um, to overturn the results of the election. And the Speaker of the House, the late Speaker of the House, Ralston, said, absolutely not. I'm not doing that. And these special grand jurors praised that conduct, which goes to tell you that it's obvious that they believe that Donald Trump was engaged in uh, horrific conduct. They didn't say whether or not they've recommended Donald Trump being indicted, but everyone pretty much believes that um, they did. And then one of the other things that they said is basically, if the public was able to get the presentation of evidence that we had, they said that they would think that the public would not be so divided because the evidence that they received it's really just about free and fair elections and a group of people trying to stop free and fair elections to take place and spreading conspiracies. And one of the things that these grand jurors said that really disappointed them is that there would be lots of people who would say one thing under oath to them, and then they would see the people, whether they you know turned on their TV or saw them giving a rally somewhere, where they would then be lying to their base even though they said the exact opposite under oath. I think that one example of that would be like a Lindsey Graham or perhaps even a Rudy Giuliani, you know, or or, or others, although they didn't specifically say who. But Popak, could you maybe break down and then Karen will give you the final word.
1: Yeah. I thought the uh, the article was great. The Atlanta Journal Constitution, which I know well, I go to Atlanta a lot to visit family, is a very good investigative Um, uh, It does very good investigative uh, journalism. And they were able to track down, and the reason that these five out of the 23 stepped forward is because, not because they disagreed with what uh, Emily Kors said when she kind of jumped off sides, so to speak, and hit all the media circuit, talking about her as the um, foreperson of the grand jury. They said that most of what she said they agreed with, It's it's that it became for them, it looked like what they were doing was um, fun and games or informal or not serious and not sober. And they wanted to clear the record on that. And, and the, the few things that I picked up from the reporting, in addition to what you said, I, I definitely, it resonated with me even beyond just reading it to this moment when that one juror said what you, what you reported, which is if they had only seen what we had seen, we, they would not be so divided. That was a very powerful comment. For me, the few new facts that were interesting was that how many people took the Fifth Amendment? Apparently out of the 75 witnesses, at least 10 took the Fifth Amendment against self-incrimination and did not testify either at all in in response to questions or in large part to the questions they were being asked at the grand jury. And that included um, Meadows, um, Giuliani, uh, and others, and Flynn, Meadows, Giuliani, and Flynn, that's a rogues gallery right there, that um, before Flynn testified, they sent in bomb-sniffing dogs to sniff the area where the jury was doing its work, which freaked them out. And they didn't know why that was done, especially before Flynn. Flynn, a big election denier, like maybe there was a report that that Flynn or one of his uh, supporters had called in a bomb. And so that freaked them out a bit. And they also said that, look, they they didn't live in a vacuum. They had known or the prosecutors had told them that Donald Trump in New York, in response to questions asked by the New York Attorney General, which we take special delight in reporting on constantly, took the Fifth Amendment 400 times to even the most basic and simple questions. The grand jury, the special purpose grand jury, knowing that, didn't see any need to drag the spectacle of Donald Trump down, since they were investigating Donald Trump, down to the special purpose grand jury and invite him to give his testimony because either he would have rejected it or he would have just taken the Fifth Amendment 400 times. And so that's one of the reasons. So I think, you know, the composite takeaway between cores oh we also found out the reason she got the four-person job is because she volunteered for it um, and, and the others didn't object so that's how she got you know we were always wondering how'd she get that job that's how she got the job uh, but but reading reading and putting the body of work together of now six out of the 23 we see a very sober body who is taking this supremely seriously who was led properly by the prosecutors who started with uh, 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 election experts who could teach the grand jury what they needed to know about a properly functioning election process. That's how the uh, in, indictment presentation started in this seven months and then brought in one by one this rogues gallery of witnesses who, by and large, Testified truthfully, the grand jury believed to them. But as you said, Ben, then went out in the public and said something completely different. So they also said a lot of them said we're not in it for the crime prosecution. It's not like they were concerned about we want to see Donald Trump in that orange jumpsuit. We've talked a lot about on this podcast today. It 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 was heartening to hear that a large swath of the grand jurors just wanted to do their civic duty to make sure that the election process, the voting process that's so important in a democracy was protected and its integrity was preserved and that they were doing their part related to that. And that is exactly, and I want to hear from Karen, that's exactly what you want to hear is the mind frame of jurors considering some of the most momentous momentous decisions in political history and criminal justice history in our lifetime. What do you think about that, Karen?
2: Yeah, no, I look, I I think it's it was very good that he, they came out and really set the record straight because unfortunately the four-person who came forward. Um, I think the media m- helped make her look um, a little less serious than I think she actually is. Um, and so I, I think it's a good thing that, generally speaking, I think, I think jury deliberations and, and jurors should remain secret. You know, it's, it's one of those things where you, you want to encourage people to uh, speak freely and um, deliberate. you know, thoughtfully. So too, too much of a window into what goes on, I think is, is not a good thing for the process. Um, But when there is this perception uh, that was being perpetuated and and largely by Trump, that it was not a serious, that it was not serious, you know, that, that it was a little silly. and, And also that there was a little bit of a too closeness, you know, between Fannie Willis's office and, and the grand juror, um, grand jury, I should say, uh, they had like, um, you know, they, they insinuated that there were like parties or, or I can't, you know, things like that, like that there were social gatherings between them. Um, but it's actually, you know, look, the, the the grand jury is serving the district attorney's office, right? This is the DA's grand jury. And so, you know, the, they've feed them sometimes, you know, they it's because they are there during the day. So um, so I think it was good that they came forward and set, set the record straight that no, this was a very serious, thoughtful uh, process. And, and I think that's good for Fonnie Willis. Um, However, it it really isn't in the end, it doesn't really matter one way or another, because this grand jury isn't going to make a decision, right, that's been disbanded, really, the the people who are the, the 23 people who are going to make the decision in whatever grand jury will be presented evidence. Uh, Those are 23 different people who are sitting hearing evidence, right? And and there's hearsay allowed in Georgia's grand jury. So Fannie Willis could potentially just go in and and read the report, frankly, and if she wanted to, she doesn't have to recreate the entire presentation and put every witness in. In fact, one reason to put witnesses in is to lock in their testimony and, and get their under oath testimony that can't change. But she has that already from a special grand jury. So there's no reason to put people in to lock them in. She could really streamline this and have some witnesses come and summarize the evidence and, and present hearsay there. So, you know, she, she did say a while back that that it would be imminent. And, you know, frankly, I expected there to be movement sooner. Um, I wonder, however, if now that it's been so widely reported that that Alvin Bragg's case is ready to go first, if she's going to wait and see how that goes and learn from how that goes, because, uh, you know, you have to from from a security standpoint, if nothing else, and a logistics standpoint, right, just to see how do you get a a former president guarded by the secret service into the jurisdiction and how do you get them to be arrest processed and how do you deal with and what what will his supporters do what will the level of um of protests be if any will it be you know something like january 6th or will it be much ado about nothing we won't know until we see uh how it goes in new york so if i were finding willis that's what i'd be doing right now i'd be ready to go i would i would do this quickly and i would wait and see how alvin bragg goes but then i would go very quickly right after that
0: karen i want to give you the final word now about New York about the Manhattan district attorneys, uh, likely criminal indictments, which are about to take place to all the public who's watching this as we are uh, arriving at this truly historic moment. uh, Just briefly, what do you want everybody to know kind of in closing?
2: That nobody is above the law. Our prisons and jails are filled with people who have committed crimes just like this and people who have done much less than this, frankly. Nobody's above the law, not even a former president. And he clearly committed a crime here and he must be held to account just because he's a president, former president and just because the logistics are gonna be hard you know, with the Secret Service and just because there could potentially be a um, you know, some kind of unrest. That's no reason not to hold someone accountable who have who has committed a crime. And you know he, Thinks he's above the law. He thinks that he shouldn't be held accountable. In fact, he once said he could stand on Fifth Avenue and shoot someone and get away with it. That's his mindset. He said on the Access Hollywood tape that he could, he grabs women and kisses them and doesn't ask for consent, that he could, you know, grab them by the you know what. He doesn't believe the rules apply to him. He doesn't believe in following the rules and following the law, just listen to his own words. Listen to what he says about what he can get away with and what he should get away with. And in a civilized society that we live in, that is not how we operate. We hold people accountable for crimes. We hold people accountable, frankly, for shoplifting, you know, for for using drugs. I mean, things that are, you know, people who are in much less of a privileged place than he is. And, and you have to play by the rules. And he just does not. The fact that he's calling the insurrectionists patriots, that they're serving time, he's calling out that they're serving time in prison for being patriots. He is insidious and he's trying to get under America's skin. He's trying to divide us by saying that the criminal justice system is weaponized. The criminal justice system is what keeps us safe. Is it perfect? No. Does it is it race? is it is it racial is it is there racism in the criminal justice system? Absolutely, but not in the way he says. There's too many black and brown people in prison. It's time to hold people like him accountable. That's exactly what the criminal justice system should be doing. It's enough that he's been getting away with it, and stop trying to undermine law enforcement and the criminal justice process by your words by your actions and the things that you say, it's just not the way it is. So I am very, very proud that the Manhattan DA's office, the place that I spent 30 years my entire career, is holding this man accountable and that they're going first.
0: And Karen Friedman Agnifilo, we are so proud to have you as a co-host of Legal AF. We are so proud of the work that you've done and the work that you are doing to inform people during this critical moment. It is a true honor to share your wisdom with the Midas Mighty. Michael Popak, always enjoys spending these weekends with you, of course, as well. And, of course, love spending it with all the Midas Mighty out there. Thank you all so much for watching this very special weekend edition of Legal AF. Have a great week. We will be reporting for you live, I'm sure, multiple times this week. Until next time, I'm Ben Micellis, joined by Karen freeman Agnifilo and Michael Popak. This is Legal AF. Shout out to the Midas Mighty.